What is up? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance. Of course, also covering the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Drancer, are you live from Buffalo? Am I correct in that today? You are correct. Coming to you live from... You all right there? Excuse me. That's all right. Yeah. At least it wasn't audio issues. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. No, I've had um, I've had a mess of a twenty four hours since we signed off. Um, yeah, no, I I missed my flight. In <laughs> oh Pittsburgh. no! Oh no! Yeah, that's I, tough. And I missed my flight because, and here's a panic inducing situation. Yeah, three forty five. Uh-huh. Like I file my story at twelve thirty. Yeah. There's some Canucks Army, or sorry, Canucks Canucks Talk listeners who are actually staying right next door. Amazing. Who I met on my way in that night, by the way. Um, and at 3 a.m., I guess they were coming back from the bars, and I hear a quick bang on my door and the yell, Thomas Drance! <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, they didn't rouse me because I was already like getting ready to go to the airport. So I get to the airport, and I go into the terminal, and I take out my phone to scan my boarding pass, and I realized I don't have my phone. I forgot it in the Uber at 3.45. Oh, no. And, like, how do you solve a problem without your phone? Yeah, right? like seriously. So I like, end I'll up, call Uber. Wait, no, I won't. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I pull out my laptop. I'm, Oof. like, chatting with their online people, and I befriend, like, a family that takes pity on me and lets me use their cell phone, and I coordinate it all, but by the time it's done... I couldn't make my flight because I couldn't check my bag, so I rent a car, 5 a.m. in Pittsburgh, wow. and drive to Buffalo, make it to practice by about 20 minutes, and um, I finished at practice about 10 minutes ago. Just had time to eat a sandwich, and here we go. <laughs> a long 24 hours. Well, there you go. Um, I hope it's better for you getting out of Buffalo tomorrow, because isn't there like supposed to be a, a crazy storm hitting uh, hitting Buffalo ahead of the uh, the playoff game there on Sunday? Yeah, although it seems to, like, snow will start at about 10 a.m. Yeah. And I think it's going to be okay through the end of the Buffalo game. Um, And then I think it's going to get a little wild before the Sunday morning game in Orchard Park. So I think I should be okay, especially because I'm just crossing the border uh, to be with my wife's family in Niagara Falls and then flying out of Toronto uh, like late Sunday. So I should be all right. Well, very exciting stuff. Uh, I'm glad you made it to Buffalo. That is a very harrowing experience. Shout out to the Canucks talk listeners, by the way, banging on your door at 3 a.m. Yeah. True fans of the show uh, right there. Um, just by the way, if you're listening on the feed, speaking of technical difficulties and audio difficulties, not on your end, uh, but on wow. our end here at the Kintech studio, Drancer, uh, I think we're playing two feeds at once. So our top people are on it. Don't worry. We're going to fix this. If you are listening, if you can switch over to the radio, I think that's working fine. Uh, we'll get the feed sorted out as soon as we can. But uh, while we work on that, let's get into it. We do it every day here. Let's start with the whiteboard. All right, now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? 
I do realize how futile it is for me to like issue instructions and and uh, you know acknowledgments to the people texting in about how they can't really hear what we're saying because they can't hear what we're saying. But anyways, there you go. Switch over to the radio. Uh, if you can't, it's just, it's the whiteboard, your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks for today, January 12th. They did it again. Canucks stay hot with a 4-3 win in overtime. Fourth straight road win on this trip, this time over the Penguins in Pittsburgh. And lot of line stays hot, but really this was Elias Pettersson, four points, including the winner in overtime, his fourth straight game-winning goal, no less, Strancer. And this one, man, a fun, fun game with a little bit of everything, some bite to it, some great skill, some great plays on both sides, some great goaltending at times on both sides, and the Canucks come away with another two points on the road. Yeah, I loved that game. Like, I just loved the intensity. I loved the white-knuckle feel of the game. I loved the ill intent, the physicality both ways. Uh, I thought uh, Frederick Lecoulier, uh, the the official, like I know I saw some Canucks fans complaining about the flow of play, but I heard a lot of praise from Canucks players for the fact that it had a physical feel, that there was a lot that a lot of let them play, mm. um, which actually a lot of guys liked. So, uh, you know, and, and I, I agreed. I thought that was just a perfect atmosphere, great stakes. I saw Sidney Crosby be clutch. I saw him score a highlight reel goal. The, the Canucks, you know, the, the top end of their lineup, just exceptional, right? You, you get the JT Miller classic downhill wrist shot to create a goal. You get Besser scoring his 26th and 27th. Uh, the Pedersen deke, like putting Nolachari into the dirt <laughs> and then finding Besser with yep. that just seeing eye backdoor pass. And, and then... Philip Heronik, like, man, what did you eat for breakfast? A three-on-one in overtime? Holy cow, that was an incredible defensive play from Heronik springing Patterson for the winner. Thriller, like just a thrilling game. Yeah. It had everything you could possibly want and sort of puts a cherry on top of what's been a really entertaining run, like a sizzle reel run from the Vancouver Canucks uh, as, as they've marauded through the Eastern Conference here. It's pretty remarkable, too, how when you're a good team, because you look at that game, right? It's a cross-conference game, right? It's not as if, you know, first place in the division is on the line, first place in the conference is on the line in that game, right? Like, yeah, there's a ton of connections between uh, Pittsburgh and the Canucks, so it's, you know, maybe a bit of a bigger game that way. But really, the stakes of that game were two good competitive teams wanting to go at each other and prove themselves. And it's pretty remarkable how... That's really all you need for the game, for the temperature in these games to turn up a notch uh, and look like it did last night. And it's exciting because, I mean, it, we just haven't seen that, those real games where you're not just treating it as a measuring stick, right? But you can tell the other team is invested in it because of how good the Canucks are. We haven't seen those in a long time. Uh, we're going to get more of them down the stretch here as we do start to see more divisional and conference matchups with real stakes in the standings as well. But when you think about it, like, there's no reason. I mean, you know, Thursday night cross-conference game – Second week of January here, it's not what you would normally consider to be like, oh, that's going to be a really good game. But just the quality of the two teams, and I think the competitive competitiveness uh, of the two teams turned it into that last night. And man, I, I, you touched on it a little bit. I touched on it as well. But like the, the Elias Pettersson performance, and we'll call it the lotto line in general. But as I said, that was really about Pettersson. That deke early that uh, he used to open up the space to set up 
Brock Besser, you know, doing the work for the deflection goal. He, it's incredible to see, not that he was playing poorly before, but just how rejuvenated and on top of his game he looks uh, since getting put back with Pedersen, or sorry, with Miller and Besser on that top line. Yeah, that, I mean, that top line's been unconscious, right? Like, oh, they're yeah. not hot, they're thermonuclear. The, like, we've been talking a little bit about Canucks conversion efficiency right Mm -hmm. and I've been like those are soccer shooting percentages okay so there's obviously some quick change stuff some partial change stuff so they haven't been on the ice together for an equal number of shots since being united in New Jersey it's like 30 31 36 Mm -hmm. and they also haven't been on the ice for an equal number of goals because Miller quick changed and I think it was Pew Suter or Teddy Bluger one of the two was on the ice for the Pedersen deke around Shesterkin after a rebound goal in New York. So uh, 11 on-ice goals for Besser and Pedersen, 10 for Miller since Sunday at 5-on-5. In four games, which, by the way, is outrageous enough. But do the math. That's a 33% shooting clip. Like, (laughs) we've graduated from shooting in soccer to shooting in basketball from behind the three-point line. (laughs) It's ludicrous. I mean, these guys are so good. And you know what? It's more than... It's more than the conversion efficiency, right? It's the types and quality of chances, mm-hmm. right? And this has been something I've talked about a lot. We've talked about a lot. You know, I think you can kind of divide the Canucks season into segments in some ways, right? It was like the engines that were going early was the power play yep. and Demko being on, an, on a sensational heater for the first five weeks, right? Like those were – they had other things going right for them. Their defensive play was really good. You know, there were there were other sort of signs uh, of progress or, or hope or what have you. But those were those were the parts of their game that were going, you know, nuclear running hot, really racking up the best start in franchise history. Right. And then you had that sort of win one, lose one um, lull where, like, honestly, the team might have done worse than being 500 over a, an extended stretch, except for the fact that their defensive game was really on point, mm-hmm. right? That kind of carried them through that stretch. And then the third line got hot as the top six kind of sagged a little bit in terms of their production. And so the team ca- stayed hot and kept winning on the back of their third line. And now we're in this sort of fourth segment, and this top line, like the quality of these rush chances, of these in-zone chances, like they're – Completely unlike what this team was doing at five on five in the first two months of the year. Completely unlike um, this type of hockey is completely unlike what's built the Canucks success to this point. And man, I think this is the most impressive version. This is the version that has me really turning my head uh, about what this team's ceiling could be. Yeah, and it's it's the shortest segment so far, of course. So that's like a notable caveat. Yep. They, you know, they will lose a game at some point with the lotto line together. But I think you're bang on where this is, and we're, I think we're seeing it not just from you and me, but from our listeners, texters, you know, fans in general. Like now, people are really, really starting to have a level of belief. There was excitement before. Don't get me wrong, but you start to see this these types of performances strung together and it's easy to really start thinking ahead and start thinking, okay, what could this turn into uh, come the spring? Um, Lots to get into here on the whiteboard today, including in the broadsheet 
section because we have, you know, quotes from both uh, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin as well as some other reporting. So we might have to just put a pin in some of this and come back to it later when we have an open segment. But uh, I'll start with Jim Rutherford, who spoke to your colleague at The Athletic, Pierre Lebrun, for a lengthy interview. Lots of interesting commentary in there from Jim Rutherford as it pertains to kind of looking ahead to the deadline, the most relevant quote from Rutherford. I think as we speak, if we were able to add another top six forward, that would give us a better chance. He also says, and you know, we'll watch the defense as we go along here, but you know, for the most part, our defense has done a pretty good job, which echoes some of what you were saying on the show yesterday, right? That Mm -hmm. the blue line is maybe a secondary concern for management. And when you think of Jim Rutherford's track record throughout his career here in Vancouver as a communicator, pretty straight shooter, right? So him coming out and saying, yeah, top six, that would help us. I would love to add a top six. To me, that turns it from will they do it to I would now be surprised if they don't add a top six forward at some point ahead of the deadline. Ahead of the They're deadline. at least going to try. They're going to try. Right? And the other thing is, you know, a top six forward, does that necessarily mean – you know, the top of the lineup no. piece we've been talking about, That's right? A, top it, six it, is a big spectrum of players, for sure. Totally. It, it it could absolutely be a player that they project as being capable, for example, of playing in the top six, but wouldn't be like a consensus star-level guy, you know, in the, in the Jake Gensel mold, for example, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think forward's the priority. I definitely think they're, you know, watching on the back end. I certainly don't think it's a no-go, but man, there's there's clearly a recognition that this defensive core has played really well, and they really have, like to a man. Mm-hmm. You know, when was the when was the last time, you know, this this defense core put in a game that wasn't at least solid? You know, True. even that St. Louis game, right? Like, there's a couple breakdowns you lose, but like, you know, the the defense core itself is just playing calm hockey. And given their size and, you know, lack of dynamic mobility outside of the Hughes-Heronic pair, like, they're getting it done in terms of getting this breakout started, too. Yeah, I think I was trying to think, like, when was the last time a defenseman was kind of, like, in the crosshairs of the market for a gaffe? I guess it was the Zadorov turnover against uh, against Philly, but <laughs> it's been few and far between, right? They're getting really, really reliable minutes uh, from the blue line, so it's understandable where Jim Rutherford is coming from when he says, you know, we'll keep monitoring, but really top six forward is the first thing that comes to mind for him. Other quote that I found interesting from the Rutherford interview of Pierre Lebrun, and again, maybe we can talk about the implications of this a little bit later, but he says kind of echoing or updating what he said at the beginning of the year, right, of if everything goes right for us, we're a playoff team. He says, we have to have everything working for us to do well, and we've had that, which I thought was just an interesting kind of caption on the season Uh, from the Canucks president of hockey operations also speaking to the media right now, or or have spoken to the media uh, recently for an interview, Patrick Alvin, the GM with our very own Ian McIntyre of Sportsnet. You can read this up at sportsnet.ca right now. And the, the most interesting quotes here for me, Drancer pertain to the Elias Patterson situation. And this one in particular from Alvin, who says on Patterson, we have another year with him as an RFA. We're not going to lose him this summer as a UFA, but that being said, I'm trying to plan for our team this year and next year, and I want him to be a big part of it. He goes on to say, we have kind of a pecking order. We've got to figure out how much money we have left, too. I anticipate there's going to be some changes starting next year, but I also would anticipate some of those changes would be internal with some of the younger players coming in 
and taking a step. So I thought that was very interesting, right? Because it's the mm-hmm. same commentary we've heard about, well, look, he's an RFA, not a UFA. That gives us time, while also now acknowledging the reality that, yeah, of course, it would make a lot of things and a lot of decisions a lot easier if, one, he was signed, and then, of course, we have the cost certainty and we know exactly how much money we're committing to Elias Pettersson next season. Yeah, I also think it dovetails nicely with Rutherford's commentary uh, from the interview he did with Dan and Sat. Um, I guess that was about six weeks ago, maybe a month ago, mm-hmm. where he was talking about the cost certainty angle, right? The idea that you want to get things done, especially with a top player, which which I think is what you know Patrick's alluding to effectively with the the comment about uh, a pecking order. Yes, for sure, right? And, uh, you know, you, you ideally want to start with your biggest ticket items, your most high-priority contract, right? I mean, you know, there's no, no there's no question here, right? Like, this Canucks retool experiment, which has yielded such tremendous uh, results through the first half of, you know, the season, you know, it, it, it hinges on Pedersen's continued involvement, right? And, in part, hinges on what you're able to fill in around his cap number so yeah it's literally the single most important thing uh the single most important bit of business this club can get done and yeah you know i think they're just acknowledging reality when they know that they'd love to have that you know they'd love to have that uh, tucked away well it's interesting because and you know elliot friedman i know on 32 thoughts said he thinks they'll take another run at it at some point here and look you would love to have that deal done before you go about your business at the trade deadline, for instance, you know, let alone going in to the summer and trying to figure out how you're going to improve the team and how you're going to set up the team for next year. But at some point, if Pedersen sticks to his guns the way he has so far, and, you know, every indication seems to be that he's going to, you never know, but at some point you just have to factor that into how you go about your business, right? And say, okay, there's uncertainty with Elias Pedersen. How does that influence what we do at the trade deadline? And, you know, one of the other things that Friedman mentioned on the 32 Thoughts was a conversation he had with someone around the league who said, look, if you're trying to decide whether or not to go for it from the Canucks' perspective and you have any doubts whatsoever, there's any uncertainty about whether Elias Pettersson is going to be there long term, you kind of have to go for it, right? You have him right now. There's no uncertainty about that. He's playing incredible hockey right now. If you're even a tiny, tiny bit worried – that pushes you to push your chips in. And I I think that's bang on, right? I think that's been part of my argument is there's uncertainty about him staying. There's also uncertainty about what he's going to cost. And to me, that's not a reason to be conservative. That's a reason to be aggressive. That's a reason to seize this moment right now when he's still here playing incredible hockey for you. Yeah. And I definitely agree with that. Um, You know, especially because, you know, I think that was a very honest bit of commentary that Patrick gave, Ian, and yet I think you and I both would agree, right? We're still in a fade position <laughs> in terms of the, like, it's not a big deal. He's an RFA. We, yes. you know, have an, another year of control here. Like, we know that in reality, that's not quite how it works. No, it's, and, but I did think it was, I appreciated the, we have, he's a, still, he's an RFA. We have another year, but, you know, and he went on to add, but it sure would help us if he would sign now, right? And I appreciate right. that kind of addendum to the commentary because you're right. I've I've been uh, long skeptical of the idea that it's not really a big deal if he doesn't sign right now. And I think Alvina is acknowledging that 
uh, there. Okay, well, there's other stuff we can touch on in the in terms of rumors and reports and trade rumblings around the Canucks, but maybe we'll save that for a little bit later in the show. Uh, you were there at practice, as you mentioned, in Buffalo today, Drancer. Do you have any updates from practice, lineup notes, anything uh, from what you saw from the Canucks today? Nope, everyone was there very quick. 30 minutes, super focused, <laughs> some really specific transition drills. It was a it was a delightfully efficient practice day from a beat writer perspective, right? You, you know, you're barely done tweeting out the lines and you're in the locker room. Um, lots of good moods, as you can imagine. I, I would lots think so. Lots of good conversation. Yep. And, uh, yeah, no, and then I actually skipped the talk at Avail because I stayed in the room. There was um, – yeah, anyway, the – yeah, no, no, no notes, no changes. Club was working on some neutral zone stuff and and some other like skills drills, um, some sort of down low stuff. That's it. They even gave you time to have a sandwich. Very nice. Yeah, yeah before just, the show, just just. just it barely. helps that there's a, a little little Canadian coffee shop in the uh, in the hotel lobby. Perfect. You love to see it. Um, playoff update or uh, playoff odds update from. Uh, courtesy of Dom Lucision at the Athletic Canucks, of course, still, as you would expect, 99% chance to make the playoffs. And now up to an even 50% chance to win the Pacific Division. So you add up Kings, Oilers, Knights, all of their chances together, same as the Canucks' chances, right? 50% for the Canucks, 50% for the field in the Pacific. So they continue to strengthen their position relative to the rest of the division and, you know, still projected right now in terms of their uh, final point total at 108, that would be a tie between them and the Avalanche for second place in the Western Conference. The Jets still projected to finish first uh, with 113 points as they're on an absolute tear right now as well. A massive heater. The Canucks are down to plus 120. And this is almost consensus, like 120 or 130, and that's really the only price you're getting on the Canucks to win the Pacific Division at this point. Implied probability, 45%. So, you know, the gambling odds are in line with that. I also wanted to note, you know, the Canucks were plus 120 dogs last night on mm-hmm. the road in Pittsburgh, and hopefully you've ridden this. I mean, we've been saying it every time we do the gambling odds, right? Like, Hey, maybe the market hasn't caught up to the fact that this new, newly deployed team might have hit another gear um, because they've hit as underdogs in three consecutive. But the plus 120 number is interesting to me because given that like the Canucks were dealing with the more compressed schedule and were on the road, uh, minus 120 at home, like that's... That's Vegas. That's the Vegas and the market telling you that they basically rate the Canucks and Penguins equally. Mm -hmm. And given how the game looked, you know, I thought the Canucks were the better team, but narrowly, right? Like, the the Penguins were game. It was a pretty even game. Like, didn't they look better than any of the other Canucks opponents we've seen on this road trip? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, like, you can't tell me. And obviously, one game sample, I'm not taking this to the bank I'm basing it on more than that but I really struggle to imagine that the Penguins aren't more imposing over the balance of the season than the Islanders for example right so anyway just to take away from last night's odds the odds for the Buffalo game are not yet open but I'd imagine the Canucks will be road dogs no more 
Yeah, although the dreaded uh, early start time for the Canucks. Not as early as it's going to be on Monday, though. 10 a.m. Pacific time uh, on Monday in Columbus. All right, that's the whiteboard for today, January 12th. Our guy, Brendan Batchelor, joins the show. Haven't talked to Batch uh, for a little bit. Always fun to have him on the show. We'll get his thoughts on the reunion of the lotto line, what he's seeing from the Canucks these days, maybe what they need to add ahead of the deadline. We'll talk to Batch about that and more coming up next year on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650.